Just this past March, Sarah Cascone reported for Artnet News that new research is shaking up our image of art making in Paleolithic times, arguing that children or even toddlers may have been behind some of the world's earliest known art. For a study published in the Journal of Archaeological Science, researchers from Cambridge University and Spain's University of Cantabria examined 180 hand stencils painted in Spanish caves some 20,000 years ago. Many more children's hands came out than we expected, lead author Veronica Fernandez-Navarro told The Telegraph. It would appear that artistic activity was not a closed activity closely linked to male individuals and the survival of the group, as had been previously thought. Fernandez Navarro is now working to further analyze the hand markings to determine if the gestures made in some images carry any meaning. She suspects that bent fingers in some of the hand silhouettes which seem to appear in recurring patterns could have been used as a form of nonverbal language. We want to find out if it is a code that they knew how to interpret. Markings with meaning. It's not hard to imagine that artist Travis Prince would smile knowingly when learning about that report. Prince is convinced that we're all artists from the very beginning. And that means not just the start of our own individual lives, but of human history itself. What's exciting for Prince is the ripening, the maturing of childhood innocence in the face of the world, and the eventual, for some, embracing consciously of making marks with meaning. Question marks, in fact. Art of all kinds that asks us who we are, what we value, what's to be done in the life we have to live. This is music Travis Prince has been known to paint to. Shadows by Tom Scott. So appropriate as Prince portrays people rich and complex, just like life itself, with light and shadows. Travis Prince wants all of us to experience the beauty and wonder of the world and stakes his life as an artist on helping us grow in that way. But we go back to the markings, the question marks, because Prince knows there are artful ways of opening us up to the world, painting, sculpture, music, and the like. And also marks with meaning that have become words, words in books, books by imaginative writers and brilliant thinkers who, if we take the risk to engage with them, will stir us to learn to read the world more broadly, deeply, struggling with how to live ourselves and with each other, how to bring justice and hope to our communities and the world at large. Artist Travis Prince brings all of these concerns together in a series of paintings titled The Reader, Portraits of African Americans Reading Works by African Americans. The books include The Narrative of the Life of Frederick Douglass, Why We Can't Wait by Martin Luther King Jr., The New Jim Crow by Michelle Alexander, and many others. This Friday, September 30th, the Everhart Museum in Scranton is hosting a special opening reception for the exhibition, The Reader, Paintings by Travis Prince. The show opens to the public on Saturday, October 1st, and will run through December 31st. Travis Prince paid a visit to the WVIA studios to talk about his work and what it means to be an artist.
I think that everybody, we're all born artists. And I, I, I repeat myself a lot when I say this. If you if you give a room full of toddlers, markers or crayons or any marking materials, they're going to have fun making marks. And we can trace our history back to the caves of France and Africa and see these hand drawings. And we've been communicating through images for a long time. And it's just, I think it is something that's innate to humans ourselves. And throughout life, some of us lose that enjoyment of marking. But I think you still have to train yourself. It's there, but the people who enjoy doing it and continue to work at it and practice and train ourselves just become better at it. And I think that's that's the way I've kind of lived my life is I, I've never let that part go. And I just always practice at it and I enjoy it to this day. And you said there was actually a moment when you saw one of the other students in, in high school, right? Was it high school it or was middle in, school? In middle school. Yeah. So, uh, like I say, I've always been art kid, always been pretty good at, at drawing and rendering images. And I, I never felt like I had to try to do it. And when I got in middle school, I saw some other kids art and I just immediately realized their techniques were better than mine. And I said, well, maybe I should try to be a better artist and not just think that I already have everything. And so about in middle school, I guess 13 years old, I, I really tried to become a better artist. We know little ones, stick figures and that sort of thing. But you had already a sense, no, that's not what a body is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So very early on, it took me until uh, my late teens to look back at some of my older elementary stuff and um, middle school stuff to realize like I already had this this concept of the human and uh, the perspective of how our bodies are shaped and how our heads are shaped and, and we're not just stick figures. And I don't think I've ever had a stick figure phase because it, it just never looked right to me. A stick figure is a very deconstructed representation of a person, but our arms and our legs and our heads, they're just not circles and lines. And so I uh, immediately understood that and just, I just very rudimentary, but I, I uh, still was able to draw a person a little bit better than um, other kids at that time. And even when you do portraits with people sitting in a contemplative pose, there's energy and dynamism, even though the pose is held. Now, how do you explain that effect as we're looking at your work? Um, I think initially I really tried to play with light and shadow. We already have a just a natural understanding of, of objects and the way that our eyes view things to uh, give it a shape. And um, once you can understand light and shadow, like you say, even if the subject is not moving it still has a presence to it and kind of an aura to it and being able to capture that is is not easy i'm, I'm not a, a trained photographer but i i have practiced and practiced over the years and and trying to make a still moment have action in it is a, a tough thing but I, I i try when you were growing up you said you began to look at the works of the great painters late. Now, when you said shadow and light, did you learn from those people who like Caravaggio or Rembrandt, who has the light, dark uses? Where did you go to explore that kind of um, thing? Definitely looking at the, uh, the Renaissance artists again and understanding that they didn't have the technology we have now. Uh, they didn't have light setups and high definition cameras and all this stuff. And so they, they really had to have a, a deeper understanding of the figures 
and and the way that the light plays on the figures and so for a while i i did a, a couple of pieces that like you say had this very harsh light and this very deep shadow contrast and and not not trying to well i always want to produce a a beautiful image but for a while i i just wanted to produce shadows that looked realistic and i feel like once you're able to uh have that dynamic contrast and the subtle mid-tones of of the play of light your work just it breathes a little bit more we talked about eyes the last time and eyes as windows of the soul yeah and you talked about in your portraits that you start there do you yes i still do um i really think the eyes can be the focal point of almost any portrait sometimes they're not but most often if you're looking at a portrait or the face of someone and even in real life conversations we can read more emotions through the eyes and so that's why an in-person conversation is is easier to to tell what the the other is feeling rather say through a phone conversation or an email or a text message or anything because we don't have that that visual we can't see the eyes that that gives us that emotion so I definitely always still focus on the eyes to start with and then try to build the face around that. Did you go crazy during COVID when people were masked up? Was that hard for you? As an artist, it, you want the whole face, yes, don't you? Yes, it was, it was definitely um, tough. I'm a people watcher and out in public and restaurants sometimes, I'll people will notice me looking at them and kind of staring. And I do sometimes because I think all people are beautiful. And I, I just love to watch people and not being able to see full faces was something really weird and, and strange. And it came to a point where it was the norm for a while. And if you didn't wear a mask, people looked at you weird for not having your mask on. But try not to let the whole pandemic thing get to me too much. Uh, for the most part, for the past couple of years, I've, I've tried to maintain a pre-COVID type of sensibility about things where I didn't allow it to deeply affect my life outside of the rules that we we all had to follow just to keep everyone safe and keep everyone healthy. And and I, I definitely didn't let it permeate my art as well. There's tons of different art shows and, and concepts about living through COVID. And I've seen a lot of artwork with viruses and doctors and people in masks and kids in masks. And it's, it's great to try to uh, document what is going on in our society at this pivotal point. But I, I didn't want that in my art at all. So I, I have done no COVID type art. Going back to what you said about yourself as a young fellow, that you already had a sense of bodiliness. And so when we look at your work now, there's a a fleshiness. There's a solidity. These are not mannequins. These are real people yeah. you're, you're capturing, right? Yeah. And once again, I normally try to use just average everyday people, normal people just like you and me, because we're all important. We all contribute to the human story and we all have our own stories to tell. And I think that by using individuals like that, anybody can connect and relate to them because it looks like your neighbor. They look like your cousin. They look like your aunt. They look like, you know, the guy who works at the grocery store. And this is who we are. So using everyday people and, and then beyond the play of light and shadow, I really focus on skin tones. And because we're not white and we're not black, we're all shades of browns and oranges and yellows and creams 
And in order to uh, flesh that out, really studying tones and, and colors to uh, make the subjects ap- appear as real as possible. And um, if you if you were ever to see my reference photos beside a portrait, you'll see that they don't look exactly the same. But I kind of uh, do a, a mental Photoshop sometimes because, like I say, I'm not the greatest photographer. And sometimes I have to edit the photos a little bit and it still doesn't look the way that I want it to. So while I'm painting, I I just try to make my subjects warmer and uh, try to add like a, a slight glow to the skin. And, and that's how I see people. We all we all have this not exactly an aura, but a glow to us. Now, talk to us a little bit more about beauty, because you've used beauty and beautiful a few times already in our conversation. And that's an inner beauty coming out in that way? Uh, yes, definitely. And like, and like I say, all, all humans are, are beautiful. I think the, um, the human experience is beautiful. Being conscious is uh, something that I'm focusing on more. Being aware that we are aware is a very intriguing thing to me. And just being able to find beauty in everyday people, I think is important. And a lot of people ask, well, why don't you paint famous people? Uh, Because these highly visible, recognizable faces, Sinatra or uh, Martin Luther King or anyone like that, they have definitely left a mark in culture. But once again, we all have that ability and we we all still play an important role and i think that is beautiful in itself and so i I always just try to capture just the natural beauty of of the everyday person now not too long ago the obamas went back to the white house for the unveiling of the formal portraits as an artist what was your interaction or experience of the portraits of barack obama and michelle obama I, i really i really enjoyed both of those pieces I'm familiar with both artists, their work, uh, especially Kehinde Wiley, the one who did the Obama painting. And I think that's a, just a, a great achievement because the presidents get to choose the artists they want to create their portraits for them. And so once they announced that uh, Wiley was doing Obama's portrait, I was like, wow, I can't wait to see this. And and when it was unveiled, I was, I was just... Uh, I was really pleased with both pieces and a lot of people didn't like either one of them. There's a lot of criticism from, from both pieces. Yeah. I thought both of them were very beautiful, two very distinct styles. Looking at them, you can, you can tell it's two completely different artists. And I, I like that. And one funny thing though, is uh, when the images started circulating on social media, I had a friend text me and say, I just, I just saw a painting of Obama. Did you do that painting? And I was like, no, I didn't do it, but it's awesome. You thought I did. (laughs) It's pretty awesome. You thought I did, but I was like, no, I didn't do that painting. But yeah, I I still love those pieces. I posted them a lot. And uh, actually, I want to go see them. Hopefully, I'll get a chance to see them in person one day. We also have talked about your expanded interest in creativity in general. So you write poetry, you do music, and you have a real interest in literature and reading and books and stories, and that's informing this exhibition that you're doing at the Everhart. It's a very unusual and wonderful thing that you do because you're honoring the people, but you're honoring the authors and the subjects of the books, and you're stimulating people to get into conversations on all those levels. Yes, yes, and so I've, I've always loved to read, and 
never was a, a big fan of art history. I just always wanted to create, you know, and be in the present and be in the moment. But once I started looking at traditional art and looking at the different periods, I noticed that the 1700s, the 1800s, a lot of French and Italian artists were painting these very scholarly looking gentlemen in their libraries filled with all these magnificent books. And you would see this theme run through a lot of artworks and kind of felt left out. And I don't know, I think it I think that it's important to show the scholarly side of everybody, you know, and we all can be educated and be educators. We can all teach others and we can all teach ourselves. And so I think that by trying to incorporate that in my art really makes a a big impact on the viewer. And like you say, there's there's this opportunity to have these conversations now and discuss literature and material that we may not be aware of. And so uh, I've continued to do this for a while, and I I think I will always continue to uh, contribute to my reader series. Are these books that have meant something to you and maybe not necessarily to your model, or sometimes the model might have a book that's important? It's literature, it's Dr. Martin Luther King biographies, and the whole range of types of books, genres? Yeah, so everything from political figures to sociology. There's one psychiatrist that I, I really love her work, historians. There's uh, Michelle Alexander. She was in criminal justice. And so there's just a wide variety of, of different topics. Like I say that, that African-Americans have written about trying to tell the story from our perspective and our viewpoint. So I, I think that's very important to have a, a more balanced and and well-rounded view of how the world functions. And so it's kind of like putting the shoe on the other foot. And so once everybody is able to do that, and I can see it from your perspective and you can see it from my perspective, then we can, we can come together and bridge our gaps and fill in those, those spaces where we both are missing out on something. And so I, I think that's, that's uh, really important just to, to read as much as you can from as many different people as you can, whether you agree with them or not. Because sometimes a person you you think you will automatically disagree with, you'll find common grounds on something. And you put the books in people's hands or their laps in situations where it seems so natural. It's not like somebody's forcing me to pick up this book. Yeah. And that's one of the toughest things because, like I said, I, I don't use professional or trained models. And when you ask someone, do you want a model for me, they feel like they have to pose and a pose looks like a pose. It doesn't look genuine or authentic. And so I really try to take the time to build some rapport with the models and just have fun in conversations and, and just tell them to read as if you would normally be sitting at home by yourself enjoying a good book. And I, I try to capture that moment so they don't look stiff or like mannequins. And at the Everhart, do I understand that the actual books that are on the canvas are actually going to be accompanying the picture? Yes, and um, that was not my idea. That was uh, Charles's idea, and I, I found it absolutely fabulous to have the physical book there. For a long time, a lot of people asked, are these real books? Do these exist? Have you read these? And I'm like, yeah, they're real books. And you can go buy them and, and check it out and read it yourself. And so now... We can just skip right over that question and you can you can see the text and the literature in the painting and then you can pick the book up and thumb through it and read a few pages 
and experience it that way. And it's this dual experience that I think will be very fun and interactive for all the viewers there. And I love the fact that you love books. They're objects that are wonderful, I'm sure, for an artist to try to render well with the pages on the sides. Yeah, yeah. And um, I love technology as well, but I honestly think technology is too easy to change and alter. So you can read something online one day and it'll be revamped or disappear or reworded a different way the very next day or hours later. Whereas the printed word, it's very difficult to change, especially if you have a first edition of something and it is printed the way the author intended it to be printed. And I remember Charles Dickens, they were editing some of his books and taking some words out and trying to be more politically correct. But I, I want to read it the way he wrote it at that time and take it for what it is for that time period. And it, I don't feel like it needs to be edited or anything. And so, yeah, having a tangible book and just the just to feel it in your hands, this, the smell of the pages is uh, is something that you can't really duplicate or recreate with uh, the digital format. You're having a show at the Everhart Museum. What does that mean in terms of your life as an artist? You've been in galleries and you had lots of shows, but is this something that's a, a little special for you? Uh, this is uh, my dream come true, actually. So I, I've been in a museum prior as a part of a collective show, a, a juried show, and that was amazing, being at the State Museum of Pennsylvania. And so that was a pretty big deal, but I've never had my own solo exhibit at a museum. And I, I think that... Uh, I, I can't, I'm not sure how, how to word this, but I, I think being in a museum gives credit to the artist. You know, being in, a, in an establishment like that kind of says, this person should be, you should take a closer look at this person and, and really analyze what they're doing. And so um, when, when I go to museums, I'm fascinated by everything in there. And, you know, and I really try to... Um, study and appreciate the different styles of art and different techniques of art and different ways of creating art. And I'm just proud and honored that a, a museum actually wants to house my art and share that with the public. And, you know, so this is absolutely a dream come true. I, I never thought that, you know, my art would be in a museum like this. The idea is that you've got a nice long run, too. So often gallery shows are one month most. Yes. But this is a nice long stretch through yes. the end of the year, right? Exactly. And so everyone will have plenty of time to come see it. The opening reception is um, October the 1st and it'll run until December the 31st. So there's three full months where people can come out and experience this. And um, like I say, I love galleries and museums and I find them extremely uh, fun. And every city I travel to or every new place I go, I try to find a gallery or a museum and, and see what's here and, and check out the art. And I think that we've lost that passion for art in that way. And I just, I want people to be excited about going to the museum again, you know, and, and making it a, a weekend thing or a family outing or a dinner date afterwards or something like that. And just, hey, did you hear such and such is at this museum? We should go check it out. Like I, I was um, in San Francisco a little while ago and they had... Diego Rivera and it's like he's here they have I get to see it in person and you go there and it was massive crowds of people and I'm I'm happy that the art culture is starting to be revitalizing we're, we're starting to get back into this groove where people appreciate art again and I'm just happy to be a part of that and trying to get people excited and thrilled about going out and, and checking out museums. 
artist Travis Prince speaking about his work in connection with a one-person show at the Everhart Museum in Scranton titled The Reader, Paintings by Travis Prince. The show opens to the public this Saturday, October 1st, and will run through December 31st. And on Friday, September 30th, this Friday, from 6 to 8 p.m., the museum is hosting a special ticketed opening reception. There will be refreshments and a chance to meet Travis Prince. And for more information, everhart-museum.org. The Everhart Museum is located at Naog Park, 1901 Mulberry Street in Scranton, and it's Everhart, E-V-E-R-H-A-R-T, hyphen, museum.org. The Reader, paintings by Travis Prince from October 1st through December 31st of this year, and there will be a special ticketed opening reception Friday, September 30th from 6 to 8. For more information, everhart-museum.org, everhart-museum.org. <laughs>